The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Come in. Welcome. I'm Tammy Grimes. When we mortals are unable to understand certain events that occur in our lives, we blame fate, or coincidence, or bad luck. It is these stories of the improbable that always intrigue me. And I don't think either you or I need an explanation as to why. What is the difference if an apple has a red skin or a blue skin, if inside it is still an apple? have learned to accept the incredible as the possible. And today's tale is one more proof that in our universe anything can happen and frequently does. What an extraordinary portrait of a beautiful young girl. And she died shortly after my uncle painted this, 50 years ago. What a fantastic talent he has. Had. He's 70 now. He never painted again. Nothing. Not a canvas of any kind. Nothing and nobody. All the life went out of him with her strange death. This portrait of Sarah is all that remains. Our drama, Portrait of the Past, has been written especially for the Mystery Theater by G. Frederick Lewis and stars Bob Caliban in William Griffith. I shall return shortly with Act One. Jason Harley told me this story. Like his father, grandfather, and his uncle, Jason is a jeweler in the true sense of the word. The Harleys were craftsmen. They did more than sell and repair watches or trinkets. They were silversmiths and goldsmiths. And their exquisite work has been collected all over the world. Although none of the Harleys ever left New Falmouth, Massachusetts. Yes, ma'am. What can I do for you? Are you Jason Harley? Yes, I am. I am Mrs. George M.W. Baker. My stepfather and I have just moved here to New Falmouth. He's quite an elderly gentleman now. But when he was a young man, he grew up here... I'm a widow, and we've been living in Boston, but we decided we'd had enough of the big city. I think you'll like it here. Oh, we do already. Uh, I've brought along an old brooch that needs mending. Here, let, let me show you. Oh, thank you. Good Lord. Oh, what is it? What's the matter? This brooch, this pin. Oh, where did you get it? Is there something so extraordinary about it? Mrs. Baker, my... Grandfather, my uncle, and my father have been designing jewelry for a good many years. This is the first time I have seen this particular coat of arms made into a brooch. Where did you get it? It belongs to M.W., my stepfather. Well, you can see for yourself what needs repairing. You see, there should be three gold seashells on that black shield. It's so very small and delicate. Now, one of the shells must have fallen out, and M.W. was fit to be tied when we unpacked it, and it was nowhere to be found. Uh, I beg your pardon, but what did you say your name was again? Mrs. George M.W. 
Magnus Whitmore, Baker. I see. Magnus Whitmore, th- that's your stepfather. The name is familiar to you. Yes, it is. Uh, at any rate, um, leave the brooch. I think I can duplicate the missing gold shell. Uh, I think your stepfather will be quite satisfied. D- do you happen to know where he obtained this brooch? I don't. As I said, he's had it as long as I can remember. Why do you ask me how long he's owned it? The design is an unusual form of canting arms. That is, a coat of arms assumed by a family elusive to its name. The three gold shells set on a sable shield is the heraldic insignia of a family called Shelley. I've seen that same coat of arms only once before, and that was on a portrait of a beautiful girl who died mysteriously 50 years ago. Mrs. Baker didn't seem the least surprised that the design of the brooch had a relationship with death. She left it with me to be restored, and I lost no time heading for my uncle's farm. Uncle Silas is in his 70s, but you'd never know it to look at him. Oh, Jason, my boy, how good to see you. Whatever brings you to see me? Well, first of all, because I care about you. And secondly, Uncle Silas, um, uh, to play detective. Oh, you don't say detective, huh? What are you investigating? The past. You know that portrait you have over your mantelpiece? Uh, I look at it every day. Of course I know it. Right behind you. May I take a closer look at it? Why not? You've been looking at it since you were a child. I painted that portrait ever when I was younger than you, Jason. Twenty. And of course, uh, so was she. Eighteen. Do you know that I never knew it was you, Uncle, who painted that portrait? You didn't sign it. No, no, but I left my mark on it. Here, I always thought you were just like the rest of us, Harley. A jeweler, a goldsmith, a silversmith. I always wanted to be a painter. I started training for it at 15, so by the time I was 20, I was quite accomplished. I can see that. But uh, that young lady... Hers was the last portrait I ever painted. In fact, when the canvas was dry, I put my brushes down. All my desires to paint vanished. Jason, son, suddenly I'm very tired, so if you don't mind, I shall make tracks for my bed. No, you're welcome to stay. If you do, I shall see you at breakfast time. If not, uh, I wish you well. Come again soon. I didn't stay the night. But what I came to see was exactly where I'd remembered seeing it as a boy. The unknown 18-year-old girl Uncle Silas had so exquisitely represented, wearing a red dress with red, long, flowing hair piled on top of her head. She stood in a corner of the garden, one hand beckoning. And in a corner of the painting was a tiny coat of arms. Three gold shells on a black shield, identical to the brooch I had been asked to reconstruct. Mrs. Baker, the reason I have brought you the brooch personally is that I would like to meet your stepfather. Mr. Harley, I appreciate that, but I'm not sure whether M.W. is up to it. He rests in the afternoon. His heart isn't too good. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I would have liked to present the restored brooch to him. Oh, it's all done. Oh, he's going to be delighted. What do I hear? I hear voices. Uh, 
M.W., we ruined your afternoon nap. I never closed my eyes. You know that, Maria. So, who is this gentleman? This is Jason Harley, the jeweler who was so highly recommended, and he's brought the brooch with him. Did you say Harley? Are you related to Silas Harley? He's my uncle, sir. Of course, Harley. They're all jewelers. That's a coincidence. And you've repaired it, have you? See for yourself, Mr. Whitmore. My word, that is something. Mr. Whitmore. Did this insignia belong to a young lady? What did you say? I said... I I heard you. Are you jewelers always putting your nose in other people's business? Well, not at all, but I presume this brooch was made for someone and represents something about which I am curious. Too curious for my taste. Maria, will you please show the gentleman to the door? Mr. Harley, kindly send us your bill. It will be dealt with promptly. The name of the person or family this coat of arm represents is Shelley. Isn't that so? Shelley? What? Uh, Please. Sir? Maria, the pills. The pills. My heart. Will you forgive me, Mr. Whitmore? I am really terribly sorry that my questions aggravated your condition. It's all right. Not your fault. I wanted to speak to you, and that's why I asked my stepdaughter to fetch you before you left. How did you manage to guess the brooch was made for a young lady? Because I have seen her. What? No, no, no. That's impossible. She's dead. I mean, I believe I have seen a portrait of the young lady. There is a portrait. I had no idea. You knew her then? Yes, I did. Did she have red hair? Yes. Did she wear a red dress? A red dress. Her favorite. Mr. Whitmore, I would say the portrait I have seen is that of a young woman who lived some 50 years ago. In one corner where you would expect to find the artist's signature is a painted replica of the brooch I have just repaired for you. You have seen this painting? Of a young lady wearing a red dress standing in a garden. She has red hair piled on top of her head and a very beautiful face. Her age, 18. Lord in heaven. That's her. Sir, would you care to see the painting? I would pay anything for just one look. That young woman has haunted me for 50 years. And unfortunately, my memory of her is getting fainter and fainter. You see, I loved her once. Long, long ago. I examined every gravestone in the churchyard where most of the old families of New Falmouth are buried. And I found the very gravestone I was looking for. Sarah Shelley. Born 1912. Died 1930. So it was Sarah Shelley who had died at 18. I wanted to know why. And who else was there to ask? But my Uncle Silas. Jason, I never said the girl in my portrait was Sarah Shelley. The idea that was her name. This does, Uncle Silas. This brooch. I saw the gravestone. Why was she buried alone? Who was she? Uh, she was buried alone because she was an orphan. No family. A lovely young girl who taught school here in New Falmouth. Oh, oh Sarah. Sarah. How I wish... Oh, there you... 
You see, I had hoped we would marry. But I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was very young. Just 20. Apprentice to your grandfather. And for Sarah, I created a family crest. I saved up scraps of gold and silver, slices of onyx, hoarded them until I had enough to give this beautiful orphan a family name. I wanted her to be someone. Uncle, before we go further into the past, could you tell me the entire truth about something that you do from year to year in the present? Well, if I can, I will. You cover this painting you did of Sarah Shelley every June. As I have for 50 years, for only the month of June, mind you. And you've told me it's to blot out painful memories of June 1930. Is that the entire truth, Uncle? No. No, it isn't. I cover Sarah's picture from the first to the last day of June because she asks me to. She? Sarah? Speaks to you? Oh, and much more than that, Jason. In time, I... Yes. In time, I will tell you everything. A painting? A brooch. A girl who died at 18. And memories of an unrequited love. And then the question of a death. Natural or unnatural? When one begins to dig into the past, and this past is half a century old, one must be careful. Very careful. Open that mythological jar called Pandora's Box, and who knows what evils may fly out. I shall return shortly with Act Two. If the... As the young jeweler, Jason Harley, begins to unearth pieces of the past, what does he find? His elderly uncle, in love with a girl who died 50 years ago. An elderly client, apparently in love with the same girl. A man who would give anything for a painted glimpse of her. Why? This is what Jason told me. As I sat listening to Uncle Silas recount his courtship of Sarah Shelley five decades ago, I stared at her portrait. The beckoning arm, the sad smile, the stubborn mouth. And I wondered, had she brought about the circumstances that led to her own death? I made up this coat of arms for you, Sarah. It's made of gold and silver, and the black background of that little shield is pure onyx. It's the best piece of jewelry I've ever done. And it's yours. Silas, it's beautiful. It makes me proud. Sarah, you you know right now, I, I, I'm only an apprentice in the family business. I make so little money, it's almost a joke. But you think if in time I do learn how to be a real jeweler, I, I mean, would you wait for me? Wait for what? Why? I love you, Sarah, and someday I, I would like to marry you. Well, I had no idea. I thought we were just friends. Oh, you being an orphan, it, it's difficult. I, I, I mean, I can't ask anyone's permission. Well, when the time comes, Silas, and you ask to marry me, I will invite you to come to my school and meet all my children. And if it makes you feel better, then you can ask their permission to marry me. 
had a way with her, Jason. Imagine that. Uh, I should ask her student's permission. <laughs> of course she was joking, but... You know, I just would have if it had come to that. A year went by, and while I was learning my craft, I was at the same time learning how to become a painter. The following June, I had decided would be the month to ask her to marry me. In the spring of 1930, I began that portrait of her. How long do I have to stand in one place in the garden like this, Silas? It's very tiring. Well, suppose we rest for just five minutes. All right. Well, I thought my arm would drop off. <laughs> no, you have no idea how difficult it is to hold my hand out like this the way you want it. I mean, sort of beckoning. Well, I think you were a little tired before we started. It's Sunday. It's the only day I can really sleep late. I sort of doze through the services. <laughs> That's naughty of me, isn't it? I, uh... I stopped by your boarding house last night. I, I thought we might go for a walk. The landlady said you'd driven off with a man in an auto car. Oh, she's a dreadful old snoop. What business is it of hers? You see, I met this very nice man. He's a young man, maybe a little older than you, and, um... Well, and, where did you meet him? Well, he's a nephew of Mr. and Mrs. Warren. We have two little ones in my school, and we were introduced, and he asked me to go driving with him, and I did. Someone you just met once? You went driving with? Well, it's a real treat to go riding in a motor car. At night? He has a great deal of money, and he comes from a very good family. Well, I had a good time with Magnus Whitmore. He was very sweet to me and very considerate, and I enjoyed myself very much. And you got back to your boarding house very late. Silas Harley, how dare you spy on me? If that's the way you are, I'm glad I found out in time. I'm not going to pose for my portrait anymore today, if ever. I won't be treated like a child. I mean, followed and checked up on. I'm trusted with the little children in school. What's wrong with you? Oh, Sarah, I, I love you. I want to marry you. Don't think you're the only one who's proposed to me. I haven't made up my mind to anything yet. I can't make up my mind. I did think I loved you, but sometimes I wonder, was it because of this? coat of arms, and oh, I do love to wear it, Silas. Oh, I wear it all the time. And I say, well, do I love Silas because he's painting me so beautifully? Or is your heart changing because perhaps there's a much better life in store for you if you marry Magnus Whitmore? Well, I haven't given him an answer either. All I said is perhaps at the end of the school term, the end of May, I'll decide. I am truly honored by both your proposals. On June 1st, I shall take the train up to Gaylord and Jenny Traders. We got our teacher's certificate together. Well, I told you about her. She's really my best friend. And while I'm there, I'm going to decide for myself which of you two I shall come back and marry. And that was the last time I saw Sarah Shelley alive. But I confess to you, my boy, our life, Sarah's and mine, is not over. Uncle Silas... What are you saying? She died 50 years ago. You are alive today. Well, you see, Jason, I believe with all my heart that my Sarah is somewhere in the universe waiting for me. There are mornings when the earth is warm and the air is cold. I see her walking toward me through the mist into the garden. I, I see her beckoning to me in that same red dress she wore when I painted her. Oh, she's... 
She's waiting for me, Jason. And when I die, we will at last and forever be together. Uncle Silas, I gather you no longer feel any resentment toward Magnus Whitman. No, it's all forgotten. For a time, I even persuaded myself he had a hand in her death. But it wasn't so. And I finally came to realize it. No, Magnus was a rival who, unfortunately, didn't win her either. Not for this world. Would you let him see the portrait? If you let me, I would bring it to him. Let him look at it, and then the same day bring it back to you. He has never seen it, and he tells me his memory of Sarah is fading fast. Think about it. Ask me tomorrow. I may feel differently then. Uncle Silas did feel differently the next day. And two days later, I brought it to the house of Mrs. Maria Baker and her stepfather. Why, it's breathtaking. I had no idea she was such a beautiful girl. I thought you should see it, Mrs. Baker, before Mr. Whitmore does. I can now understand the tragedy of it so much better. I'm almost afraid to show it to M.W. It doesn't have to be today. My uncle trusts me. You brought the brooch back, didn't you? Yes. Before I forget, um, here it is. I shall take the painting, leave it outside his room, go in, see him, and if he's up to it, I'll show it to him. Mr. Whitmore, I'm glad you felt well enough to have me join you in your bedroom. Beautiful work of art, isn't it? My boy. My boy, I shall never be able to thank you enough. Maria tells me Silas himself painted it. From life. And he has retained all of hers and more. I do see Sarah actually beckoning to me to follow her. Is that possible? Her hand, her right hand, it is moving. Uncle Silas has been remembering that spring 50 years ago. And he told me, Mr. Whitmore, that... Sarah Shelley promised the both of you a decision in June whom she would marry. Can you remember? That is exactly the way she put it to me also. I can see her now in that dress, that red dress, a favorite of hers. We stopped off at the station and left her bag. Then we had two hours to be together before her train was to leave. So as we had done often before... We drove to the Falmouth Dock. We got out and walked. It, it was starting to fog up that Sunday morning. The sky gray and overcast. But to me, it was not nearly as ominous as what Sarah was telling me. Magna, it isn't that I care for you and Silas equally at all. My feelings for you are different. Can you understand that? Which feeling... Is love, Sarah? That's the one that counts the most. I don't know. That's why I'm going away today for a short visit with my friend Jenny. If I'm away from you both, perhaps it will help me make up my mind. Well, Sarah, you're you're, you're shivering. It's getting darker and darker out at sea. I don't want you to catch cold. Let's turn back to where I've parked the car and we'll drive back to the station. Besides, these boards this far out on the dock, some of them are rotten. It isn't too safe to walk on. Well, I'm not cold, Magnus. Not the slightest. Oh, Sarah, wait. Stand still. What is it? We're being followed. Back there, when we turned at the end of the dock, I suddenly saw a figure 
stuck behind the boathouse. The docks are full of people. No, no, not on a Sunday morning. Just now, I saw him again. It was the same face turning around, so I wouldn't recognize him. Did, did you? I think so, but I, I, I'm not sure. I think you're more alarmed than I am. Perhaps because I have more to fear. Come along, dear. I'd like to get to where I left the car before the fog gets so thick. I'll never get you to the railroad station in time. And Mr. Whitmore, when was the next time you saw Sarah Shelley? I never saw her again. Never? Not alive. I saw her body. She was dead. And did you ever find out who it was you thought was following the two of you? Yes, I knew who it was. But I didn't want to tell Sarah. You recognized the person. It was Silas Harley. And he knew that I saw him. Silas? My uncle Silas? I can't believe that. Nobody else did either. It was William Shakespeare's opinion that love and death were not partners. That is, excluding Romeo and Juliet. In a favorite play of mine, As You Like It, he has the character Rosalind say, The poor world is almost 6,000 years old, and in all this time there was not any man died in a love cause. Men have died from time to time, and worms have eaten them, but not for love. Well, Mr. Shakespeare, we shall see. It would appear in our story that someone may have killed for love. I shall return shortly with Act Three. Jason Harley, descendant of a long line of silver and goldsmiths, has discovered a special coat of arms, three gold shells on a black onyx field. It has led him to a portrait of a girl who died 50 years ago and who was loved by two men. One, Magnus Whitmore, the other, Jason's own Uncle Silas. It is at the uncle's house that we raise the curtain of Act Three. Jason, do you want my secret and private opinion? Magnus killed her. Only it could never be proved. And the irony is that I myself became one of the witnesses to prove his innocence. I'd like to know more. Well... In those days, every citizen of Massachusetts had to attend a place of worship on the Sabbath. In fact, there were constables who patrolled the streets and the docks to make sure Sunday morning everyone was at prayer. I had seen Sarah the night before she was to take the morning train to stay a few days with her friend Jenny. On Sunday, I shared a pew in church with Tom Webster, who, as you know, used to be the inspector of police. He's retired now. Tom and I went to school together. <laughs> That's how long we'd been friends. Silas? Yes, Tom? I hope today's isn't going to be another one of those long sermons about how much coal is needed to keep the place warm this winter. Shh, shh. You shut yourself, Magnus. The service hasn't begun yet. It's, it's not you he's annoyed at, Tom. It's me. Oh, because of Sarah. Well, may the best man win. It was a strange sensation for me, sitting in church right behind the man who I was afraid would win Sarah's hand. 
About halfway through the service, a constable came down the aisle and whispered something to Tom. Tom got up right away and followed the constable out the door. In a few minutes, he was back and motioned for me to follow him outside. Silas, I don't know how to tell you this. One of my men has just informed me that while on his regular Sunday patrol by the dock, he discovered the body of Sarah Shelley. Sarah? My Sarah? They have taken her to the hospital, not because there was anything that could be done to save her. There was no life left in her when she was found, but it was the only place to bring her. What happened to her? I believe she drowned. Now, now, Silas, as an old friend, I'm going to ask you to uh, bear with me. I don't understand. I must now go back into the church and take Magnus Whitmore into custody. I urge you to go directly to my office. I will meet you there as soon as I have apprehended Whitmore and have him held for questioning. Now, go now. I'll be along shortly. Oh, Tom, I'm glad you're here at last. Silas, I'm sorry you had to wait over an hour for us to book Whitmore and to uh, get the sergeant's full report. How could Magnus possibly have had anything to do with her death? I, I don't understand. When did she die? We'll deal with one fact at a time. The sergeant reported to me that at 11 o'clock this morning, while on patrol on the dock, in the fog, he stumbled over a man. Now, you remember how very foggy it was early this morning? Yes, I do. The sergeant made the man get up to identify himself. He made him write his name in the sergeant's notebook. Take a look at the name there. Magnus Whitmore. Now, the sergeant then asked him why he was not observing the state of Massachusetts Sabbath ruling why he was not at some place of worship. And the man who I'd identified himself as Magnus Whitmore gave a most peculiar reply. He said to the sergeant, What time is it? The sergeant said, Almost noon. And Whitmore answered, I am in church. He said, I am in church? He said, I am in church, and I have been there for over an hour. He then said to the sergeant, I am a man cursed. I am a cursed man. Come, follow me. And the sergeant did. Whitmore pointed down into the water, past a broken plank, and the sergeant saw Sarah floating face down, her red hair streaming above her. Oh, Lord. It was too late to revive her. Now I'm uh, about to have Whitmore in for questioning, and uh, Silas, if it's too painful for you to be present, I, I will understand. But I will need your testimony eventually. Mine? I know this tragedy has torn you apart, but uh, you can't have forgotten that Magnus Whitmore was in church. He was sitting in front of us and was there before we even arrived. In fact, where he said he was, miles from the dock, how that is possible at this point is beyond me. <laughs> Why am I being held here as a prisoner? On suspicion of the murder of Miss Sarah Shelley. And why is he here? Silas, as a witness. Stranger enough, on uh, your behalf. Well, that's right. The both of you sat behind me for half an hour before the service began. Until I was taken out and arrested. So, who is it who suspects me? The state of Massachusetts. 
Now, do you deny the fact that you were the last person to see Sarah Shelley alive? Of course I deny the fact. I have no idea who saw her just before her death. She was alive and well. We walked along the dock for over an hour before a train was to leave, and I had intended to drive her to the train, but somehow, in the fog, we became separated. What do you mean, somehow? Well, it, it swallowed her up. The fog became so dense that even my voice calling out to her seemed to be muffled. I don't know whether Sarah heard me or not, but she never replied. When the fog closed in, I was in church. You saw me. The both of you. I sat right in front of you. The fact is, you were with the sergeant miles away and signed his book with your name and then led him to a place under the pier where Miss Shelley's body was found. Well, it all happened while I was praying. I can't explain it any other way. You had better try. Magnus, you, you didn't go to the railroad station? You didn't care enough about Sarah to find out in all that terrible weather she'd been able to catch her train or not? I guess I was in such a state, believing that win or lose, she would never really be mine, that I... 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 I just didn't think. What did you do then? Turn around, go back to the dock, push her into the water? Is that why you were crawling on the ground when the sergeant found you? Look, now, you cannot deny this, Magnus. Your name... Well, you wrote it when he asked you to identify yourself as in his notebook. So you were not in church, even though on the witness stand, I would have to swear I saw you there. Tom, I'm trying to explain this in the only way I, I know. How could I appear to be in two places at the same time? May I, may I say something? Oh, go ahead, Silas. Disregarding my own private suspicion... Isn't it possible that Sarah in the fog lost her footing and fell into the water and drowned? I can't say at this point whether the coroner will be able to establish that or not. Whether it's accidental death or murder. Jason, at that moment I had no doubts that Magnus had somehow cleverly constructed an alibi and had pushed Sarah into the water. I believed he had a motive in his strange and twisted way he must have decided if he could not have her, no one else would. That Sunday night I went home, went to bed, and then was unable to tell whether I was awake or dreaming. Silas? Silas? Sarah? Is, is that you? Silas? I'm standing now at the foot of your bed. Can you recognize my face? Sarah, are, are you real or an apparition? Are you alive or dead? I'm alive, Silas. Very much alive. But not in the sense I was. Silas, I shall remain alive until you join me. Remember that. I didn't have to go to Jenny's to decide. Even as I was walking along that dock with Magnus, I knew I was to be your wife. Sarah. Sarah. Was it a dream or reality? <laughs> At that point 50 years ago, I wasn't sure. 
since that time, I have often seen and talked with my beloved Sarah. The following Monday, Magnus was asked to make an official statement. I needn't elaborate on what I said yesterday about being watched by Silas Harley and that I saw Sarah Shelley alive until about half past ten Sunday morning. I drove home and went to church. I did kneel there and prayed for Sarah's safety. And then there flashed before me a pair of hands reaching out and... (laughs) Do I I have to go on now? We can wait. I couldn't tell in my mind's eye whether these hands were choking or pushing her or what. But the very next thing I saw was the body lying still on the water next to the pilings. From then on, it was all a dream. I tried to leave. I couldn't. I, 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 I fell to the dock. I tried crawling away. My head a jumble of sounds, the foghorn, the seagulls, the bell boy, and suddenly there was a sergeant asking questions. You know the rest. You are saying, Whitmore, that somehow, in some fashion, you projected yourself into a similar self who was on the dock while your actual self remained in church miles away. That is what I'm saying. But how can we ever find out which was my real self and which was not? Magnus went to trial. He was acquitted. Neither his signature nor the sergeant's account weighed as heavily with the jury as practically an entire congregation who saw Magnus in church. That is incredible, Uncle. Ever since, I've wondered about Magnus' guilt. Has, uh, Has he ever explained how he acquired the brooch which Sarah always kept pinned to her waist? How'd he get it? I think it's best all forgotten, Uncle. You have the portrait... The memory of her appearance to you that night, she died, saying she wanted to be your bride. Oh, that's a great deal more than that. And I have had all these years. As each year passes, I get closer to our eternal reunion. I I, I want you to look straight ahead, Jason, to where that bench is. It's exactly there she rested during our painting sessions. To the right is where she stood. Can, Can you see the spot? Yes. Right there, by that tree. Her arm extended, beckoning. She's always 18 to me. Always beautiful. I am compelled to relate the truth of what I then saw. A sight seen by my uncle many, many times over the years. Sarah was materializing before him. She began to walk slowly toward us. Young, radiant, in the full bloom of life. Her hair swept up. Her red dress like new. She came closer and closer. And while I held my breath and disbelieved completely what my eyes told me, I saw her touch the forehead of my uncle. He leaned back in his chair and breathed his last breath. I looked again, but in that instant... Sarah was gone, and so was the spirit of my uncle, and so they were joined at last. 
Out of the strange synchronism of unrelated events has spun the story told to me by Jason Harley. I realized afterwards it is generally the unaccountable and unpredictable that control our lives. A chance meeting, a sudden storm or calm, the violent beginning or the violent end. The miracle of it all is that most of us survive. I shall return shortly. The older we grow, the more we encounter that which is not explainable. The good book tells us that to live by faith, hope, and charity will make the road easier. And there is written, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass, darkly. But then, face to face. Now, I know only in part. But then, shall I know even also? As I am known. Our cast included William Griffiths, Bob Caliban, Carol Titel, and Bernard Grant. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Here we are, 18th Street. You mean I have to walk all the way back to 12th? It's a nice night. A little walk won't kill you. A little walk won't kill you. Harry! Yeah, walk. Hurry, Harry, are you all right? Uh -huh. Hey, you were twisting around. You woke me up. You all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. You sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, go go back to sleep, Alice. Just, will you? Uh, uh, go back to sleep, huh? I'll let you off at 18. I don't want to get off at 18. You have to get off at 18. Don't make me get off at 18. Why not? A man's waiting there to kill me. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by White Westinghouse Appliance Company. This is Tammy Grimes, inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time. Pleasant dreams. Oh, <laughs>